And let me add my welcome. My name is Paul Reese, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And it's great to see the church family and some uh, new friends, old friends here with us this morning. And thanks to James uh, for leading us so well. And uh, thank you for praying for me this morning. Now, 10 years ago, uh, on the 29th of April, billions of people stopped what they were doing to look at a royal wedding. The wedding of Prince William and Catherine Middleton, which took place at Westminster Abbey in London. What a day, what a spectacle. The nation rejoiced, crowds gathered to get a sight of Prince William marrying his bride, who will one day be uh, the queen uh, when he becomes king. And they turned Westminster Abbey into a garden. They brought trees, they lined the aisle with trees and it was full of flowers. And all eyes were on Catherine Middleton as she arrived in her wedding dress and made her way up the aisle to stand next to her man and make those um, promises, those public promises before the congregation, before a couple of billion people watching, and before God. Now, my wife was stunned this week to watch me uh, sit down and watch the whole of this uh, documentary on the 10-year anniversary of the wedding. You know, they, they looked at every single detail, you know, the, the, the cake and the clergy and the congregation and the, the crowd who are watching and every single aspect of the day was examined. And when I, when I finished watching it, she turned to me and she said, what has happened to you? And I said, it's sermon preparation. And she went, oh, yes, oh, yes. For today in God's word, in the Song of Songs, he invites, we're invited to look at a royal wedding day. Do you see that in verse 10? Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look. Look, you daughters of Zion. We're invited to look on this wedding day in the Song of Songs. Um, I was going to do the whole wedding day, but as I studied, I decided I'm going to do the wedding day this week and next Sunday, the wedding night. But that's to come. We've been following the development of this love story as we've been working through this Song of Songs, a, a love story between a Shulamite country girl and a man who is a shepherd. Uh, we've heard about the early desires and the first conversations and the early courtship that led eventually to a marriage proposal and an acceptance and now we've come to the wedding day. Now let me ask the question I asked last week, why bother? Why bother listening in? And the answer is this, because there is an ultimate wedding day and you are all invited. You're all invited to this wedding day. And in fact, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus and so belong to the church of Christ, you're invited not merely to be one of the congregants, but you're right at the front, standing next to Jesus as his bride. Now, this song opens uh, with these words, Solomon's Song of Songs. And what we've been meditating on really is that there's a bigger song than just this 
human love song. Uh, to be called the Song of Songs, we're talking about something more ultimate. And actually, what we're seeing, I would suggest to you today, is as we take in the whole message of the Bible, we're seeing a foreshadowing of our wedding day as the bride of Christ. So Solomon's name comes in the very first verse. It's in the very kind of at the end of the chapter, chapter 8, and it only appears three times on this part of the song, on the wedding day. What are we to make of Solomon's appearance here? Is this a song that's like one of those classic fairy tales? You know, the, the one where the girl, the country girl, meets this guy in the fields and she thinks he's a shepherd and she fall, they fall in love and, and surprise, surprise, it's, the, it's King Solomon. Well, that's, that, that, would, that would be quite a love story, wouldn't it? And he certainly knew a thing about wedding days. First uh, Kings chapter 18 tells us that he had 700 wives. And that's not counting the concubines. And according to the Bible, this was his great downfall. They loved many foreign wives who turned his heart to worship their foreign gods. And so if Solomon is both the author and the subject of this song, then perhaps it's a song written near the end of his life as a corrective well, he's basically saying, don't do what I did. This is the true ideal of marriage. One man and one woman for a lifetime, because that's what the song celebrates here. But another way of interpreting this song is that this is the love song of an ordinary country folk. But to her, this young shepherd becomes like King Solomon. If you were here last week, you'll see that uh, chapter 3 begins with her saying, all night long on my bed, she's, she's recounting, in a sense, one of her dreams. It, it was a bit of a nightmare, if you recall, uh, to begin with, but perhaps the dream changes, and maybe this is part of the ongoing dream, and she's dreaming about her wedding day, and in her imagination, it becomes a royal wedding day. One of, the, one of the fun features of the BBC documentary was that on the, the same wedding day, uh, they, they, a number of people got married, obviously, and they interviewed some of the other people who were married on the same wedding day as Wills and Kate, right? And uh, it's an amazing number of people who chose to style their weddings as royal events. And in fact, there were some Asian communities who basically had big street parties where they enacted kind of a, a big... Asian wedding day in the ethnic style of that they're used to and enacted sort of a royal wedding. And there's a sense in which their wedding and every wedding is like a fairy tale. Every wedding couple on that day are like the king and queen, fulfilling God's design for family life of two image bearers, male and female, uniting themselves in God's presence, kings and queens over his planet, called to rule, fill the earth. That, that's going on for every marriage. And so maybe this is what's going on in this song uh, that has this dream sequence of this wedding day. But what I want to say to you is this, that there is nothing imaginary about the wedding day that is to come. 
John the Baptist described himself as the bridegroom to Jesus. Jesus said of himself that one greater than King Solomon is here. So let's look at some of the detail of this royal wedding day where we see the king who comes for his bride. And you'll notice uh, from the reading we've already had, there's quite different to British weddings. I mean, in our weddings, the focus tends to be on the bride, doesn't it? You know, we're all, we're all waiting, sometimes for a long time, uh, in, in the church expectantly. Uh, the, the groom and the best man are nervously at the front and we're all waiting for the big moment when, oh, the bride, she comes. Finally, she comes. And the bride comes in and all eyes are on this you know, woman looking fabulous in her wedding day dress as she walks up the aisle. But here in this song, the focus is not on the bride, it's on the bridegroom. Uh, this is very much more the culture of that time uh, she accepted the proposal he headed for the hills and now she's been waiting for the day the day that he's going to come and take her to be his bride and notice uh, she's on the lookout she's paying attention if you look at chapter 3 verse 6 in the song She's watching for signs of the parousia, of the arrival of the king. Look at 3 verse 6. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? She's scanning the horizon, and first she sees a dust cloud on the horizon, out in the wilderness, but it's approaching fast like a column of smoke. What is this? Who, who is this? And there's a lovely smell in the air. The wind must be blowing from the same direction because she's picking up the smell of, of spice, of myrrh and frankincense. Do you remember those gifts? Gifts to the Messiah King Jesus on his birth. And she knows who it is. And she invites us to fix our gaze. Verse 7, look, it's Solomon's carriage. The king is coming. The day has arrived. And this is where the Christian church is called to keep its focus. To live with an expectancy in the certain hope that King Jesus is returning for us, his bride. He taught his disciples during his earthly ministry in Mark chapter 13. But about that day... Or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know that when the time will come, keep watch. This is where history is heading, and we don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And the excitement for us as a church is that He's coming to take us to be His bride. This is the wedding day, this, uh, this is the wedding feast that we're looking forward to. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. He says this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. 
But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When the trumpet of the Lord sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first, changed and transformed into their resurrection bodies. And all who are alive will be changed in a moment into their resurrection bodies. And, well, listen to 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, he says. Now notice then that the, in the song, her eyes are drawn from the first signs of his appearing to the security detail. Look at verse 7. Look, it's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. This is impressive protection, isn't it? In 2 Samuel, you can read about how David had a, a guard of 30 mighty men, all skilled in battle, fearsome dudes to protect the king. Well, Solomon rocks up with 60 of these guys, all noble warriors, all with swords on their side, all skilled fighters. They know what to do with those swords. They're all experienced in battle. This is a formidable force. And this is what this king provides, a protective detail prepared to keep them safe as a couple. Nothing will be able to separate them. Now, as an aside here, husbands, you may not have a household guard of your own, and you may not even have the biggest muscles, but one of our roles is to offer protection and security to our wives. A wife should never be frightened of her husband or of his anger or his fists. I mean, such behavior is adultery. It's unfaithfulness to, to, for a wife to be frightened of her husband. Our job is not to cause aggravation. Our job is to be the men who shield and guard them, to be willing to actually sacrificially lay down our lives for our wife. That's what you sign up to when you get to the front of the church and say, I do. And think about King Jesus. Do you recall the words that Jesus said to Peter on the night of his arrest? Peter, the fisherman, was waving a sword around rather ineffectively. And Jesus says, put that sword back in there. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? God had prophesied that mighty King Jesus would actually go through torture and suffering and death and then be raised and exalted in glory. So... He could have called on 12 legions of angels. 
And just think, what, remember what one angel could do. Uh, if you read in the book of Isaiah, you'll read that on one night, one angel wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's one angel. And he says, I can call 12 legions of angels. In Rome, a legion was about 4,000 people. That's protection, isn't it? That's protection. They're more than prepared for the protection needed to save you from all the terrors of the night. That's the protection of King Jesus for his bride. And so, in the words of Paul to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Not demons, not coronavirus, not disease, not the devil, not persecution, not authorities or spiritual powers. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. That picture of those protective angelic hosts, he'll guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. But back to the song. Notice how our eyes see the appearing on the horizon. Notice the protection of the security detail. And then our eyes move to the carriage that the king has prepared for this day. Look at the preparation of this king. Look at verse 9. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior inlaid with love. Look at this transport. I don't know whether you saw this last week, but Rolls-Royce have just launched their most expensive car to date. It's, uh, it's called the Boat Tail Convertible Grand Tourer. And if there's a space in your garage, it, it, you know, it can be yours for 20 million pounds. It contains a lot of, of great gadgets for a lovely picnic, a parasol. It's a picnic car. Can you believe this? It's got parasol. It's got a fridge that will quickly uh, chill your, your champagne to six degrees, which apparently is the perfect temperature for champagne. Who knew? Well, this carriage is just as blingy for its own day. Wood from Lebanon, posts of silver, a base of gold, a seat upholstered lovingly in purple. This is a Rolls Royce of a carriage. But get this, it was personally made by King Solomon. He chose the materials. He, he put it together. Lavish preparations because he's coming to take her to be his bride. Now just think about the extravagant preparations for Jesus to be our Savior. 33 years of life. Only three of them are public. In a sense, the, the main saving act is in the last week. In a weekend. What's the 30 years about? It's preparation before his cross and his tomb, and his resurrection, and his exaltation. 30 years of being truly human, experiencing all that we experience in our humanity, tempted in every way but without sin, so that he could be the sinless Savior for all who will trust him. And why are we waiting now for his return? Well, he told his disciples, didn't he, in the upper room, 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, have, I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you will be with me, that you'll also be where I am. So this is not just some, um, notice some sort of spiritual unseen hope of the Christian. Because notice in the song how public this all is in verses 10, in the second half of verse 10. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out. Look, you daughters of Zion. Weddings are public. They were very public in that culture, done out on the street as much as anything, but they're still very public here, aren't they? It's something for all to see. Tens of thousands of people descended on London and uh, billions tuned in on their TVs to watch the royal wedding. This is what's so wonderful about weddings. Something so personal as two people falling in love and promising to unite their lives together is actually something that is acknowledged and celebrated by the whole community. It's rightly honored and protected by laws and tax benefits because it is the bedrock of a healthy, functioning society. And the return of Christ will one day be a day of great rejoicing for all who long for his appearing. But you know what? It's also going to be a terrible day for those who've set themselves against against King Jesus and remain as rebels for this will be the day of his righteous judgment uh, in Matthew 24 it says this then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and so I must ask you today are you prepared for the day when he returns. You see, if the only time you talk about Jesus is to rubbish his name as a swear word, I want to say today, have pity on your soul. Rebel sinners will mourn when they see him return because they will be shut out of his eternal kingdom. Will you repent? of living for yourself? Will you take off that paper crown and surrender it on the blood-stained ground of the cross of Christ? To acknowledge your guilt, to acknowledge your sin before God and seek his forgiveness by putting your trust in Jesus as your savior and your king today. I wonder what holds you back if you're not trusting him already. What holds you back? Don't be on the wrong side of history. This is where history is heading. So back to this prophetic love song we've seen the perusia of his appearing we've seen his protection we've seen his preparation we've seen how public it is and finally her eyes turn to the person in the carriage look at verse 10 again look look on king solomon wearing a crown the crown that his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding the day his heart rejoiced Finally, her eyes settle on her beloved. There he is, dressed for the wedding day. He's lounging in his carriage as it bumps along the road. He's got a crown on his head. This is the king, I tell you. The 60 warriors, the blingy carriage, 
the crown on the head, the king has come. This is the day, the day his heart rejoiced. It was read to us at the start of the service. Uh, Isaiah, after he describes the work of the suffering servant, we hear this of, about God. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Over you. Revelation 19, we read it too. Hallelujah for the Lord, our, uh, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made himself ready. I can't remember how old I was, but I had the most vivid dream once. And I heard the trumpet of the Lord. And my heart was full of joy. I thought, this is it, we're off. And I was so sad to wake up. But you know, the day's coming. We're going to hear the trumpet of the Lord, and it'll not be a dream. It'll be this day. Uh, I grew up in a little brethren assembly in Cardiff, and uh, every week we'd have the breaking of bread. And one hymn that sticks out in my head that we used to sing every now and again was had this lovely verse, and it says this, The bride eyes not her garment but her dear bridegroom's face i will not gaze at glory but on the king of grace not at the crown he giveth but on his pierced hand the lamb is all the glory of emmanuel's land now we're heading into wedding season i think we've got six weddings to go to this summer and I want to say to you, if you go to a wedding this summer, I hope that as you go and observe this wedding, whatever weddings you're going to see, it'll remind you that you are heading inevitably towards the wedding. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Knowing that you've, had, you've already turned to Jesus to be your Savior, you're part of his bride, he's come for you. Or will you be someone who finds that the wedding banquet doors are shut and you hear the words, truly, I tell you, I don't, I don't know you. The king is coming ever closer. The crown is on his head. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And his heart is rejoicing at the thought of coming to take us. To be his bride. Isn't that amazing? Meditate on it. Look forward to it. It's going to purify us and prepare us.